Let us turn to um, James 1, 13 to 27. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heaven lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away immediately, forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceives themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accept as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let me pray and then we'll jump in. Uh, Father, thank you for your word uh, in this book of James. Thank you that we can go through it slowly and really hear what you're saying to us. We pray that today you would make us not just hearers of your word, but doers as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're in our second week of James now. And the passage just continues from the passage last week. So it really could have been one sermon, but it was just too much to cover. So if you missed last week or if you don't remember last week, the one thing you need to remember, and I've got a slide for this, thanks, Jez, is that perfection was this Greek word teleos. Uh, which encompasses completeness and wholeness and perfection, right? But it's not perfection in the kind of soft way that we use the word perfection, like that cup of coffee that Loz just brought out is perfect. Even though it's probably very good, it's not perfect. When James uses perfection, he's getting at real perfection, as in God is perfect. He really means perfection. So that's the one thing to remember as we jump in. So verse 13, James talks about temptations, and we all know what temptations are, those things, the desires that kind of pull us to do things that we shouldn't be doing and we know we shouldn't be doing. And when James says temptations here, I think we can go on to the next slide, Jez, to, um, yeah, no. 
when James talks about temptations in verse 13, he's actually talking about the trials from last week. It's actually the same word, trials and temptations, exactly the same word. I think it gets translated differently because this week there's a bit of a shift in focus. Last week when James was talking about trials, he was talking about and focusing on how hard it is to make it through a trial. But in this passage, when he says trials or temptations, the same word, he's kind of focusing on the potential a trial has of drawing us away from God. And so they translate it temptations just to get that kind of image across a bit. But the thing to understand is that it's the same event. Trials and temptations, One is re- it's not that one is really hard to get through and then one pulls you away from God. It's the same single thing, trials slash temptations. And he says to us, when you're in this trial or in this temptation, don't blame God. But blaming God is actually the logical thing to do. If God's in control of everything, and last week we said trials, when persevered through, lead to perfection, not this kind of physical perfection, but moral or like obedience perfection. And that comes through by God's grace and God's strength. If he's in control and he's giving us these trials, then How is it not his fault that we're tempted? We're just weak humans. We can't really control these things. I'm sure we're in struggles, in trials that we wish we weren't in. So, of course, it's God's fault. But James says you've got it wrong. God himself isn't tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone with evil. Verse 14, what's going on is when you're in a trial, It's your own desires that are bubbling up. The things that you want come to the surface when you're put in those situations. And you're enticed to follow those desires instead of God's desires. The desires that you have aren't actually good and they're not like God's. They're actually evil, James says. And that's a pretty heavy word. What's happening, James is now telling us, is you're actually just tempting yourself. Within this trial, you're trialing yourself. So imagine two people go through the same trial, let's say financial hardship or something. And in that hardship, you can imagine one person is tempted to steal to get by in that trial. And then the other person is tempted to maybe drink in order to forget the worries of the trial. So same trial but they trial themselves differently. They tempt themselves differently because of their own evil desires. So James says the trial isn't what brings temptation, but it's the immoral desires of your heart. That's very accusative, right? He's just telling us we're evil and immoral, but that's what's giving us temptation. So the real question for us is whose desire will you follow? James goes on now to give you the outcome of both. Verse 15, if you follow your desires, they'll conceive and they'll give birth to sin. And sin when it's full grown, which is that word perfect again, teleos, when sin is perfect, or actually it's a variation of the word perfect. I think James doesn't use the, the regular word for perfect here because to him, 
that's a word used to describe God. So he's not going to use that word to describe sin. Instead, he uses a variation of the word perfect, which kind of shows that evil desires and sins, they have this path to perfection too. They can grow and become complete and whole, but it's not God's perfection. It looks like it, but it's actually the total opposite. So we might not think our desires are too bad. We wouldn't call them evil. But James says those desires are evil. They lead you away from God. And when they're perfected, they end up in death. So verse 16, James says that you think it's God doing these things to you, but actually what God gives you is good and perfect. That word teleos again, perfect. And actually he doesn't just give you good and perfect things. Every single thing in the world that is good and perfect has actually come from God. There's no way to get a good and perfect thing without God. And we can broaden this idea of good gifts to like, you know, sunshine, to food, to friendship and all that. But what he's talking about here in the context, because he's using that word perfect again, is actually the trials. The trials in which you're actually tempting yourself. They're actually a good and perfect gift from God. Don't be deceived into thinking they're evil. Remember, if you endure these trials, they lead to perfection. Because God, James says, is the father of heavenly lights and he's not like shifting shadows. And it's a bit of a strange phrase. God's not called the the father of heavenly lights anywhere else, but it's probably a reference to creation. So in Genesis, when it talks about creation, God creates light and he creates the heavenly bodies, so the sun and the moon and the stars, that constantly bring out light and shine light. And James is saying God is like those things that he's created, constantly shining and bringing about good things all the time. And he's totally unlike shifting shadows. So don't think that he's tempting you away from him with trials. He's actually giving you good things. And then verse 18, here's James's conclusive proof for his claim. God has chosen to give us birth through the word of truth. The ultimate thing for James that proves God isn't the one that tempts us away Mm. is to look at what Jesus has done for us. He saved us and he's given us new life. And we're a new creation. And not only that, but we're just the first fruits. He's saying that they, James, and the people around him at the time were the first ones to be made new and given new birth. And he's looking forward to someday where he imagines maybe a hundred thousand people or a million people will actually be given new birth too. And when we arrive to today, we know that a million is not a big enough number to count the amount of people that have been given new life. Countless people have been given new life. That's how good God is. That's how much goodness he pours out. And not only that, eventually all of creation will be given a new birth as well. So that's what the father of heavenly lights desires. Our desires, when they're perfected, leads to sin and leads to death. 
God's desires, when perfected, leads to new life and to new birth. So that's the two options James gives you. Which do you choose? A following your desires, which leads to death, or following God's desires, which leads to life. On a good day with a clear mind, of course, everyone's going to say, I choose God's desires. That's really the only choice, obviously. But it's not that easy. Verse 19 feels like a bit of a jump into a new section, but it's actually linked into what James is saying. What it describes here is what the new birth looks like. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because human anger doesn't lead to righteousness. And that's why, even though the choice is obvious, which one you should choose, it's not actually easy to choose it. In lots of places in the Bible, we see God's anger stir up. He gets angry. But what comes of it every time is righteousness. But your anger and my anger doesn't really end with anything good or not often at least. Does it mean to never be angry? Probably not. That's not what he's saying. Maybe on our best days, against all odds, our anger might end up with something that looks like righteousness, very, very occasionally. But on most every other day, our anger leads somewhere that's really far from righteousness. So he doesn't say don't ever be angry, but he says be slow to anger. More often than not, your anger is going to be wrong rather than right. So get there slowly. Be slow to anger. And so also get rid of all these things, the filth and the evil that's everywhere in the world around you that we live in. So James doesn't hold back. He calls us evil. He calls the world around us evil. Only God is good to James. And he says, accept the word that you've been born again by. That's what's going to save you. And what does it mean to accept the word in verse 22? It means to be ones who do the word and not just ones who listen to the word. That would be deceiving yourself. So not only is it not easy to do, but at this point, as James describes, it starts to get dangerous following God and trying to follow his desires because On paper, it's really obvious who the listener is and who the doer is. The listener just listens, but the doer both listens and does. Really obvious. But in practice, it's tricky. Verse 23, he describes the listener as someone who looks in the mirror and then forgets what they see. So the impression that they get from the mirror lasts for just a moment. They walk away and it's gone. But the doer is one who looks intently and understands it and then acts on it. And here's the dangerous thing. Both the listener and the doer in the moment of looking think that they're accepting the word. They both look in the mirror. They both understand what they see. But the differentiation comes when they walk away. When the listener leaves... He forgets everything that's just been. Whatever happened and whatever he saw in the mirror, that's gone. Basically, it's as though he never looked in the mirror and he's never seen his face. But when the doer leaves, their life is changed. So the dangerous thing is that if you're a listener only, 
you might not even know it. You might listen and go away unchanged and not realize that you've forgotten it already. And this isn't the this isn't God tempting them away or tricking them. It's them that's deceiving themselves. But verse twenty five, this this very passage that we're reading, is a chance for us to peer deeply into God's perfect law. James now drops the imagery. The doer, it's not that the doer is the one that looks in the mirror and remembers. He's kind of dropped that opposition and now he's just talking about real life. The doer is the one that looks intently into the perfect law. So that's that word, teleos again. And by that, he means the gospel. And he actually does what he sees. He acts on what he sees. And he's going to be blessed in what he does. It's not exactly clear what the blessing is. Is it that in their doing of the law, they're blessed, so the actual actions are blessed? Or is it by doing the law, they get salvation because the end result of working out the law is salvation? Not really clear. But both of them kind of intertwine, so it doesn't matter too much. The point is that the doer receives immense blessing from God. So, of course, be a doer, obviously. But how? Verse 26 again feels like another jump to another topic. But he's just talking about this whole idea concretely. He's giving you three actionable points. Religion in our current world has bad connotations. If you say someone's religious, that's not exactly a compliment. But when James says it, he actually means it in a more positive sense of someone who lives out their beliefs, doing the things that believers do. And not just in Christianity, but like all beliefs, right? A religious person for James is good. But he says, if you think you're a religious person, if you think you're a doer, if you do the things that are required to be done, like come to church or serve or give offerings or whatever, but you haven't controlled your tongue, then you deceive yourself. James is going to talk more about the tongue a bit later on, so we won't go into detail now. But for James, the tongue is the most wild and untamable part of the body. So you can have the outward appearance of religion. You can turn up to church and do all those sorts of things, but your tongue gives you away. If you don't control your tongue, you deceive yourself into thinking you're a doer. If you think you're a doer and then you ignore orphans and widows, you deceive yourself as well. In the Bible, orphans and widows are archetypes of those in need. They're just kind of the pictures of the most needy, the weakest, the most vulnerable among us. If you don't care for them when they're suffering, you deceive yourself into thinking you're a doer. In our modern society, the need for for to take care of orphans and widows is kind of obscured from us because we have a lot of government safety nets that look after them. And then that kind of fools us into thinking it's the government's role to care for the needy. But God says it's actually your role to care for the needy. It's the doer's role. The type of suffering in the world that they go through is ours to care for, not the government, not someone else, ours. 
it's great that the government does these things. And so orphans and widows aren't actually as weak and vulnerable as they were in James's time. But the needy in our society still exist and they're still around. They're just in different forms. Loneliness is rampant these days. Regret is rampant. People are outcast from society for whatever reason. There are people suffering everywhere. And if you see them around you and you ignore their suffering, you deceive yourself into thinking you're a doer. And then lastly, if you're polluted by the world, you deceive yourself into thinking you're a doer. There are some values that the world has that aligns with God's values, but there are way more that don't align with his values. And the challenge is to discern between the two. So if you're taking on the world's values and you're living out values that are opposing God's values, then you're deceiving yourself into thinking you're a doer. You're just a listener. So this whole passage is a mirror for us. James is blunt in describing our condition and the world's condition and giving us two options and is really concrete about how he looks at it. So the question for us to ponder is when you look in this mirror, this passage and God's, God's word overall, but this passage especially, and you see the type of doing that God says you should be doing and you reflect on what you're actually doing, what do you see? It's, of course, not a perfect reflection. You're, got, you're not going to be doing it perfectly. I'm not doing it perfectly. And I think James picks these three examples exposing false religion because they're the hardest to do. No one is doing these three things perfectly. No question, all of us lose control of our tongue at some point. All of us don't care for the suffering of others at some point, and we're polluted by the world in some ways. But the mark of the doer is that they don't go away after reading this passage and then forget it. The doer isn't perfect. They're being moved towards perfection by God, but they're not there yet. So they don't have to be perfect in these areas. What you need to do is not forget. As soon as I I pray at the end of this sermon and say amen, you'll be tempted to forget. Just imagine me doing the prayer now and, and finishing and saying amen. And then imagine where your mind goes in that moment. As soon as I say amen, you're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about Mother's Day, chores at home, to work tomorrow. We'll all have forgotten what's in the mirror the second I say amen. The thing to do today is to not forget. Don't forget what you've seen by looking at God's word. You don't have to do all the things that you've been convicted to do because there'll be areas in all of our lives that we're not doers. And you don't have to do it because you, you don't have to be perfect right now. We'll be made perfect when Jesus returns. But don't forget, do one small thing. In what way do you not control your tongue? In what way do you not care for the suffering of others? Or are you polluted by the world? And remember that, just one of those. Just remember one of those after I say amen. And then act on it, even in a small way. It doesn't have to be big. But in doing that, you'll be a doer, a true doer of God's word, not just a listener. And then you'll be blessed. Let me pray. 
Father, we thank you for the mirror that your word is. We thank you that by looking at it, we can see uh, what you desire of us and how we desire other things. And we ask that you would make us doers of your word. Help us to not forget uh, what we've seen today. Help us to be convicted by the, the ways that you want us to change our lives. And help us just to make one small change in one small area so that we can be doers of the word, so that we can be moved towards perfection, and uh, so that we can receive your blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to call John back up as we get ready for Q&A. Um, um, but let's go. we've got a, one question to come through so far. Um, okay. Why is the gospel called law? Good question. Let me open up to James. Yeah, in um, this verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, um, and I said that was the gospel, so why is the gospel called law? Um, the, so James is writing to a James is Jewish and he's writing to a Jewish audience. And the, uh, for the Jews, when they were in the old covenant, what they needed to do was to do the law. That was like the right response. That's what kind of, that's what doers meant, right? They, they did the law. Um, and now normally when someone says law in the New Testament, they're referring to the law of Moses. But James here says um, the perfect law. So it's kind of a bit different than the law, right? It's the perfect law, the law that's kind of reached maturity, the, re- the law that's whole and full. And I think he calls it the perfect law, as in separating that from the Mosaic law, the old law, and says this now perfect law, um, which is the gospel, right, is that we're meant to do the things of the gospel. His whole section is about doing. And he's saying in the, old, in the old covenant you did the law of Moses, you did that, and that's right. But now look at the, the perfect law, the law that's come with Jesus, and you're meant to be doing that too. So I think the phrase is meant to make a connection probably more for Jews than for us, but makes a connection between uh, how Jews did the Old Testament law and how now James is saying you still have to do here. Yeah, you can't have, you can't just listen and not do. Then you're just fooling yourself. So I think that's the, that's the reason he calls it the perfect law. And then earlier on he calls it the word, which is a bit more common for us. So I think it like he's just paralleling it but making a connection to how the Jews did and how we're meant to do. Um, next one, we've got uh, Jesus commanded us to help others who are in need. Is helping and enabling the same oh, thing? Wow. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, cool. So I, I take enabling as like a, like you're kind of helping someone to continue in the bad habit or whatever they're doing. So that, that's kind of in a general sense what I understand enabling to be. So tell me if I'm wrong, whoever wrote that question. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it is different. I, I think you help someone um, because they're in suffering and you want to bring them out of suffering. So here it says, um, if anyone, uh, religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So I think here helping is to help them in their distress. So they're in this like trial that is really hard for them for whatever reason, and you're meant to help them. 
Um, I think enabling, and like that kind of goes beyond the bounds of the passage, but these, these are my thoughts. I think enabling is kind of out of our control. So um, I, I've heard some people say that they, um, they're, they're really hesitant to give to homeless people on the streets because that might um, lead to that homeless person just buying alcohol or something. So they don't want to enable them. But I think that's a little bit out of our control as humans and as someone that's just walking past on the street. Um, I think the call, and this is hard, right? I don't, I don't give to every homeless person I see on the street. Um, it's, it's kind of hard these days because you don't even carry cash. But even when I did carry cash, I didn't give it to every person that I saw on the street. Um, but the, I think the reasoning of I don't give it to them so that they don't go into further alcohol um, addiction is probably beyond our control. We're just walking past on the street. I don't know what he's going to spend it on, but I do know clearly he's in need, right? He's in distress. And so I think probably the right thing to do in that case is to just to help them in some small way, if you can. Uh, And then what they do with that help, that's really on them, right? But for you to be a doer of the word is to not walk past someone in their distress. Um, they might not be a doer of the word. They might just be a listener or they might never even heard. But that's kind of out of our domain of control. So I think, um, yeah, don't enable someone, but also you can't stop them from doing what they're going to do. Your job, what James says to do here is to help, to help them in their distress. Yeah, that's probably the best answer I have for that. Okay. Um, I don't think there's any more that's come through. Cool. So, uh, yeah, thanks for your time, John. Thanks, guys.